1: i'm brian sullivan and you're listening to cnbc's worldwide exchange our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m eastern listen in it is 5 a.m in washington dc and here is your top five at five president trump calling the covid relief bill an unsuitable disgrace he wants more money for the american family and democrats agree but will the gop Pfizer reportedly nearing a deal with the U.S. government for many more cases of that much needed COVID vaccine. Elon Musk opening up about why he once wanted Apple to buy Tesla. In Britain, Brexit trade talks down to the wire with mixed reports on whether a deal can get done before Christmas. And in the sports media race, Formula One reportedly had talks with Amazon to stream its Grand Prix. It's green flag time on this Wednesday, December 23rd. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good Wednesday morning. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, today's top story, President Trump throwing the fate of stimulus a little bit in doubt. In a video tweet last night, he called the $900 billion COVID relief bill passed by Congress, quote, an unsuitable disgrace. He wants changes from lawmakers, including much larger direct payments to individuals and families, up to $2,000 per person or $4,000 per household. We'll get more on that in just a minute. Of course, the markets like the idea of more stimulus futures. They're not soaring, but they are up. Dow futures right now up 73 points. All this coming off more records for small cap stocks on Tuesday. Well, let us get more now on that developing story, the one the markets will pay very close attention to, and also what is likely now to come next in the fight over stimulus. NBC's Chris Ballone joining us now live. Chris, good morning.
0: Yeah. Good morning. This is certainly a monkey wrench thrown into the works here. Democrats and Republicans thought they had a deal hammered out late Sunday night for this $900 billion COVID relief bill. All indications from the White House from that point forward were that the president would sign the bill and that money would start going by direct deposit to some Americans. Uh, in the form of $600 payments by early next week. The president was largely absent from the negotiations, instead letting his team do it, including Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. Uh, Mnuchin lauded the deal when it was agreed to uh, the other night, and it appeared that everything was set to go. But as you mentioned, last night, the president called the deal a disgrace in a video that he posted on Twitter, and he demanded that Congress change it to $2,000 payments for individuals as opposed to $600. So obviously this left senior leadership of the Republican Party kind of scratching their heads, wondering what's going to happen next. The president didn't say he was going to veto the bill, but he certainly hinted that he didn't want to sign it. He railed on against some of the spending, seeming to conflate or confuse uh, the money that was put into the appropriations bill that will fund the government for the rest of the year, that $1.4 trillion bill. uh, The COVID relief bill was put in an omnibus bill as part of that, uh, and he railed on some of the spending in there. And so now it's unclear exactly what's going to happen. Democrats were happy to seize on this. Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, tweeting shortly after the president's video posted, saying, let's do it. Democrats have been pushing for these higher payments all along. And so when the president seemed to agree with them, they say they're ready to do it. They might even try to pass a bill by unanimous consent in the House on Thursday, uh, trying to see if they can get an agreement to raise the payments up to $2,000. But at this point, it is all up in the air. And the federal government, if this bill is not signed, could face a shutdown because they only passed a seven-day extension for funding, which goes through Monday. So we need some resolution before then. And at this point, it is unclear exactly what's going to happen, Brian.
1: Oh, yeah. A little more intrigue heading into Christmas here. Certainly one that American families are hanging on. Chris Pallone in D.C. Chris, thank you very much. Sure. Well, meantime, in other headlines this busy morning, a grim stat in the fight against COVID. NBC News reports the U.S. seeing its highest number of COVID deaths in a single day. 3,350 deaths were reported yesterday. The country has now seen more than 18.2 million cases of the virus. But some potentially good news in all of this. Sources telling our Meg Terrell that Pfizer is nearing a deal with the government for an additional 100 million COVID vaccine doses. That agreement could be announced as early as today. Meantime, as cities like New York deal with spike in cases, some of the New York Stock Exchange workers who had been coming onto the floor will now go back to working from home. The NYC floor closed in March, but reopened in May with about 25% of its staff. Well, beginning on Monday, NYC-designated market makers will temporarily return to what they call remote Operations. Well, now let's get back to the markets and your money and let's get a strategy session heading into the new year after what has been a very good year for stocks and, of course, not much else. Joining us now is Brian Levitt. He is global market strategist at Invesco. Brian, good morning. Let's start with the headlines here. The stimulus fights. It's going to get passed unless the GOP really pushes back on that larger number. Will a increase in stimulus increase the chances that the U.S.
2: stock market goes up? Yeah, so an increase in stimulus is certainly a would be a good development. I mean, there's plenty of businesses and there's plenty of households that require additional help and can provide a bridge as we work through this uh, rollout of the vaccine to to get us through this period and to then hope for a reacceleration of economic activity as we move through the year. I think, you know, the markets are, um, you know, the markets are obviously going to be focused in the near term on the size of this package. But ultimately, the markets are, are going to be looking out, you know, further beyond this to a year in which the vaccines roll out, economic activity recovers and monetary policy remains very accommodative. So while today or in the next few days, this seems critical to your point, this will likely get passed and, and the markets will um, you know, feel comforted by the fact that more fiscal support is coming.
1: Yeah, well, they feel more comforted, Brian, if, if they like the original deal. And of course, now President Trump has thrown water on it. Will they more like a bigger number going to American families? I believe it's up to four thousand dollars possible for U.S. households, assuming, of course, the GOP agrees to that higher number.
2: Yeah, at this point, I mean, the larger the number would obviously be better for households and businesses and better for the economy and should be applauded for the market. I mean, it's not as if the the federal government is finding it onerous to fund this debt. I mean, we're borrowing the money at at negative real yields. And so uh, you want to come forward with additional fiscal support at this part of a cycle. And so, yeah, the markets will applaud it. I think the markets... um, We're likely to head higher in 2021, regardless of the size of this package. What this does is put a little bit more support into the recovery and and starts to support, um, you know, more of the cyclical parts of the market. Again, what's critical is the vaccine rollout. So this in and of itself is not the catalyst that takes markets substantially higher in 2021. View it as a bridge. Then the medical and scientific breakthroughs come through and, and get us back to some level of normalcy.
1: Yeah, I mean, do you think that interest rates, you just mentioned negative real yields with inflation, that certainly is the point, Brian. We're looking ahead to 2021. Everybody's making their predictions. I've got mine coming out in a few minutes. Do you think that we will see much higher 10-year yields by this time next year? Do you think inflation will ultimately finally kick in? The commodity market sure looks like it's saying that
2: yeah so i would I do not expect inflation to kick in meaningfully. I mean, inflation would be a high level problem that that we're not there yet. I mean we have a huge output gap in this country. We have very high unemployment in this country, so it is likely to be a long while before you see goods inflation. Ultimately, what tends to happen is you start to see asset price inflation. So asset price inflation could happen for a while before we start to see any type of goods inflation. So I would view this as an inflation free Growth environment, which is good for risk assets, it's good for equities and credits. With regards to the 10 year rate, the 10 year rate should head higher over the next year, but not substantially higher. I mean, typically you would think that the 10 year rate could be closer to the real growth potential of this country, call it around 2%, but I, I don't believe we're heading to 2%. I mean, rates are too low. Globally, I mean, if the U.S. rate gets up to one and a quarter, or dare we even say one and a half, there's likely to be a strong bid for it. So I would expect rates higher, but not substantially higher.
1: Brian Levitt of Invesco. Brian, thank you very much for joining us here as we head to the holidays. Best to you and your family. Happy New Year. Thank you. We'll see you on the other side, 2021. Happy New Year. It's, thank very, you. it's very close, Brian. Thank, all right. Thank <laughs> you very much. All right. Well, we are just getting started, and when we come back here, deal or no deal reports flying fast and furious about the uk and whether a brexit trade agreement can be reached before christmas also flying fast some of the early movers on this wednesday morning let us show them to you as we head to break futures they are higher by about 70 points clear ge and nrg energy some of your bigger movers and we're back right
3: what does it mean to be rich
1: Good morning. The light's not yet on in the Christmas tree in Rockefeller Center, but you see the tree is there. Other lights are on. I think we should make a motion to get those lights put on at 5 a.m. Eastern Time so we can go to, you know, come from break on this show and talk to Philip Menon a bit and say, look at that beautiful tree. By the way, there it is. Hard to believe, folks. Just two days until Christmas. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, everybody. Well, if you are like many U.S. investors, You may have tuned out at some point in all the on-again, off-again Brexit trade talks happening in Europe long ago. Who could blame you? Not us. It was confusing, and it never seemed to end. But now it is ending, and the clock is really ticking on hard deadlines. And the result could have a big impact on the global markets and your money. Let's get an update now on where we stand. Jumana Versace joining us now with the very latest. Jumana, good morning.
3: I can't believe you said you tuned out of Brexit talk, Salih, you know, I don't know how we're ever going to get over that, but uh, to your point, we may be close to a resolution. <laughs> Finally, the day is here. We've been talking about brexit for the better part of four years the referendum happened in 2016 but reports overnight are suggesting that we may get a deal as soon as christmas eve i just want to remind the u.s viewers what the main sticking points have been actually the first is that of a level playing field which is the uk's ability to come up with their own legislation and diverge from eu rules the second sticking point was that of governance so how the eu could respond in case the uk do come up with their own rules what the adjudication process would look like so on both of those topics a lot of the differences have narrowed in the last couple of weeks there's still one outstanding topic that has not yet been fully resolved yet and that is the quite contentious one of fisheries. So uh, European access to British waters, the quotas, and how soon the phase-in would happen or the phase-out of European access to those waters uh, over what sort of time horizon. But it looks as though the two sides are narrowing those differences on that particular topic as well. We heard from the EU chief Brexit negotiator, Michel Barnier, uh, yesterday, and he said that the two sides do plow to, pledge to plow through with these discussions. So take a listen at what he had to say.
4: We are really in a crucial moment, and uh, we are giving it a final push. In 10 days, the UK will leave the single market, and uh, I will continue to work in total transparency with the Member States right now and with the Parliament.
3: So they're giving it one final push. I've got to mention, though, that December 24 technically is the last day that they can come up with a deal because the EU legal team need a couple of days to get the paperwork in place so that the UK can then provisionally apply the treaty from January the 1st. Because remember, Brian, no matter what happens, December 31st is the ultimate deadline. On January the 1st, the UK will be treated as a third country vis-a-vis the EU with deal or with no deal. Just on the back of that though, on this more positive news, we are seeing the pounds have rebounded a little bit. Just shy of that 135 mark. Analysts out there say that if we do get a deal though, we may actually finally break through 135 and stay there.
1: You can't judge us. It's been a long been a long, long multi-year process, Jumana. It's been hard to keep track of, but you laid it out very nicely. Wait and see what happens. January 1 could be a very interesting day on a number of levels. Jumana Barsechi Thank you very much. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Well, still on deck. Planes, trains, and automobiles, not just a great movie. What Americans are planning to do this Christmas and New Year's and the impact it could have on the travel industry. Plus, a preview of my top five predictions for 2021. One of them has a lot to do with getting back on airplanes. Stay tuned. You're watching Worldwide Exchange. We're back right after this.
4: today's big number 10.2 million that's how many people watch the acc championship game between notre dame and clemson on saturday
5: the most viewed acc championship of all time this podcast is supported by fedex dear small and medium businesses no one wants happy customers more than you do so you need a business partner just like you
1: All right. Welcome back. And good morning. Dow futures. They're up just about 100 points. But let's step outside the world of money and business. Get a check on some of the other big stories happening on this Wednesday morning. NBC's Philip Men is in New York. Now with those. Good morning, Philip.
7: Hey, Brian, good morning. President Trump is issuing his first big wave of pardons and commutations going after cases brought forward by the Mueller investigation. He issued a full pardon to his former advisor, George Papadopoulos, who pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI. And he did the same for Alex van der Zouan, who worked for, with the Trump's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort. The president also granted clemency to three former GOP congressmen. Steve Stockman of Texas, who was convicted of fraud and money laundering. California's Duncan Hunter, who pleaded guilty to misusing campaign funds. And the first congressman to back Mr. Trump, New York's Chris Collins. You may remember back in 2017, Collins was caught on camera on the White House South Lawn, giving insider stock tips to his son. The president also pardoned four military contractors who worked for Blackwater, all convicted of killing 14 unarmed Iraqi civilians in 2007. And it took all year, but the coronavirus has finally reached the end of the earth. Quite literally, the outbreak has arrived in Antarctica. According to the Chilean army, 36 people tested positive on its research base on a peninsula in northern Antarctica. Until this week, it was the only continent free from the virus. The army said base personnel have been isolated and are constantly monitored by health authorities. And finally, check out this incredible new video from the U.S. Geological Survey. That is the Kilauea volcano. It erupted on Sunday night on Hawaii's Big Island. Authorities say the eruption is still going strong, but has stabilized, so it poses no immediate threat to the public. Thousands of spectators are now flocking to Kilauea Summit for a chance to see that spectacular fire show. That massive lake of lava, Brian, covers 33 acres. Back to you.
1: As long as it follows the path that it has, no homes are in the way. Certainly, yeah. of course, a volcano erupted because 2020. Mena, thank you very much, buddy. Appreciate it.
7: All right. Have a good one.
1: All right. Well, this would normally be a very busy time for the travel industry. But this year, numbers suggest one billion hotel room nights could go unsold by Christmas. Sima Modi is here covering the big business of travel for the U.S. And I guess, Seema, it is a big business normally slightly less big this year.
8: Yeah, that's exactly right, Brian. More than 960 million hotel room nights have gone unsold this year and on track to reach that 1 billion number by Christmas. That, according to SDR, which tracks real-time hotel occupancy data, it's certainly a milestone that the lodging industry never really thought it would see. And it reflects just how COVID has challenged the broader travel sector. As COVID cases rise, hotel occupancy, the rate continues to fall. We're now at around 38% here in December compared to the 60% rate we were at in the December of 2019. And even with the latest stimulus bill providing some relief, hotel owners that I've been speaking to, they say it may not be enough.
7: A long way to go before we get back to some normalcy uh, in terms of the customers, in terms of operations for us. Uh, just the industry as a whole, I just think that it's going to take a good 12 to 18 months before we get to some normalcy uh, in the travel industry.
8: Vinay Patel owns nine hotels across the East Coast. Pre-COVID, he employed about 200 employees, but with limited breakfast offerings and housekeeping during COVID and plus fewer guests, he's now down to about 120. The other issue, he says, is pricing. The average rate of hotel rooms has come down substantially this year, leaving owners like Patel with less Pricing power. When you take a look at where these stocks are trading, though, Brian, that certainly paints a very different picture with Marriott rebounding off of, off of the March lows. A lot of that having to do with the different steps it's taken to cut costs, uh, downsize a number of its properties, plus uh, the debt market being a really popular avenue for a lot of hotel operators to raise the money they need to stay afloat during this time. It's a very similar story for the cruise lines as well.
1: Yeah, it certainly is. You know, Seaman, I guess you've talked to these folks or you talk to them every day. They're all just waiting on the vaccines and and herd immunity. I mean, how long can they hold out? Do we have any idea what they're expecting from twenty twenty one? I think it's going to be a boom in travel more in the second half. I think it'd be the biggest boom we've ever seen. What are you hearing?
8: Yeah, that vaccine optimism certainly also reflected in those stocks as well. But the conversation from those hotel owners, they paint a different story, as we were just saying. Uh, For them, they kind of see travel returning at some point in the second half of 2021. But in terms of turning it into profits and returning to the levels they were at before COVID, uh, they're saying it's a 2022-2023 story. So they're saying it's going to take a lot of time, especially if their hotels are located next to airports, uh, big convention centers that are really relying on the corporate traveler Uh, they're saying leisure is starting to return at least with the occupancy levels they're at right now it's mostly leisure but it's that corporate travel remember that makes up majority um, of hotel rooms so that's what they're really banking on they don't expect that traveler to come back again until 2022.
1: You know I'll tell you Seema we'll find out I've flown a couple of times recently I tell you the airports were packed both my flights were 767s sold out one was actually oversold. Yeah. That capacity has come off, so a lot, a lot more people out there than we think. Once you get out of the New York City area, it's like, wow, there's a whole different world here. Sima Modi, thank you very much. Appreciate it.
8: Good point. Thanks. Well,
1: overall, though, it has certainly been a series of one step forward and maybe a dozen steps back for the travel industry this year. But your next guest says there are some silver linings, and for people who want to get out and travel. It is just a matter of when, not if. Scott Meyerowitz is executive editorial director at The Points Guy. Scott, welcome. Good to have you on. Listen, for what, I'm going to just go cheap tease this all day long. I wrote five predictions for 2021. They're up on CBC.com now. I'll push them out later. One of them has to do with airfares. And one of the predictions is that I believe that airfares on popular routes, Newark to LAX, for example, could more than double by July as everybody tries to jump back on a plane? Am I overshooting the optimism?
6: <laughs> I think uh, July is going to be an incredible time for the travel industry, particularly leisure travelers. And what we hear have here is a complete split. Leisure travel is going to be really strong. People who have money, who were, you know, seeing their stock portfolios climb and climb throughout the pandemic are ready to hop on a plane again. They've put so many vacations on hold. And you can see that right now. You know, the last four days, we've averaged about a total of a million people a day coming through the TSA. Nothing like the numbers we saw last year, but again, it's this holiday spike. People are anxious to get out there again. It's just business travel that's gonna be on hold.
1: All right, so it it sounds like, Scott, that you might agree with that, because some would say, whoa, 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 (laughs) July is way too early. You heard my anecdotes. I I sent pictures out the other day. Newark Airport was mobbed. You're looking around going, what pandemic? I mean, what are you seeing as far as advanced demand?
6: Sure. Well, Brian, I don't know about the New York LAX, but I'll say New York Cancun will definitely double. It's those leisure destinations that people are booking right now. Airlines that it's like the one bright spot they have outside of cargo is they're actually adding flights to places like Mexico right now. What we are seeing is, you know, there are incredible sales right now to get you onto the planes though those sales are going to quickly go away once you get into the fall particularly yeah. september So, book, so book, i
0: guess
1: scott book now would seem to be sort of i guess the watchword is that kind of what you're saying yeah. and when you say a place like cancun i is that because we when you look to destinations for our viewers that are kind of kicking around the idea of something but they're not really sure It's going to be, it sounds like warm weather climates, not densely packed areas, areas where even if you feel safer, you want to go where you can be outside, where you don't have to jam up against the bunch. Are those the kinds of destinations that are going to be super hot this summer?
6: Yeah, I still expect national parks, for instance, to be super packed. I expect all the beach destinations to continue to be packed either through the winter or into the summer. And book now, because the airlines have these incredible flexibility, uh, no change fees. All the things we used to hate about airlines are gone right now. So this is sort of a golden error of the traveler is out there, it actually comes first again. So you can change flights, you can rebook if you need to. Why not take a gamble, especially with some of the prices being where they are? Now, some people are probably not going to travel until there's a vaccine, but it doesn't mean you can't be sitting there right now booking those summer plans or into the fall and really figuring out when you're comfortable traveling.
1: Yeah, but Scott, you know those those two hundred dollars change fees. You know they're coming back, right? They're, 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 those those stupid two hundred dollars <laughs> fees. They're coming. They're coming back because it's a money maker. Yep.
6: Airlines promise they're not oh, coming so. back, but there's another fee probably on its way instead.
1: I promised I would take out the garbage. It's still there as raccoons living in the can. (laughs) Scott Meyerowitz, the points guy. Scott, Scott, best to you. Happy New Year. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, book that flight to Cancun now, folks. Take care. All right, coming up. After weeks of hardcore negotiations, Trump says no deal on stimulus. He wants more money for American families, but will the GOP fight back? We're back after this. Well, welcome or welcome back and good Wednesday morning, everybody. A live look at the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. It looks so majestic and peaceful, all the infighting underneath that dome. But right now, that's just a nice look. Is it a reason to be proud? I'm talking about the architecture. All right, making headlines this morning. Speaking of infighting, President Trump going after the stimulus deal and maybe going to war with Mitch McConnell and the GOP. In a statement last night, Trump called the deal a, quote, disgrace. He thinks the agreed-to payments to American families are not nearly enough, and he's calling for much larger payments, up to $2,000 per person or $4,000 per household. This puts Trump directly at odds with Mitch McConnell and the GOP. Remember, that $2,000 figure was the original number in the Democrats' proposal, which the Republicans called a non-starter. This also could put the GOP in a tough spot in the Georgia Senate races by making them play defense. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer said Democrats will see if they can pass a measure for 2,000 direct payments by unanimous consent. But then it goes to the Senate and Mitch McConnell. Wall Street, however, saying, what, me worry? The market's acting like some kind of a deal will still get done. Futures, they are higher, not by a lot, but Dow Futures Up 90 points right now, Nasdaq and S&P 500 futures are also higher. In other corporate news this morning, and this is a really interesting story, Elon Musk says that he reached out to Apple CEO Tim Cook about two years ago, basically begging him to buy Tesla, but that Cook wouldn't even agree to meet with Musk. Musk says all this happened during what he called the darkest days of the Model 3 program. Tesla's market value, by the way, has increased tenfold since that now turned-down meeting. All right, now to today's COVID headlines. The mutation of the coronavirus in the UK has highlighted the need for scientists to invest in genetic sequencing of virus samples in order to prepare for more mutations before they happen, because they will. According to the CDC, the U.S. has only sequenced 51,000 cases of the coronavirus out of about 18 million and that could lead to more problems down the road. Joining us now to talk about it is Dr. Nahid Badelia, Infectious Disease Physician and Medical Director of Special Pathogens at Boston Medical Center. Dr. Badelia, thank you very much for joining us. Um, what do we know so far and what do we not know so far about either, I don't want to call it a new mutation because looking at the South African data, it could actually be multiple new mutations, could it not?
9: That's right, Brian. And, and I think it's also good to sort of step back and say the viruses mutate all the time. In fact, every time they transition from one host to another, one person to another, particularly in large outbreaks, that uncontrolled transmission is what gives the virus the ability to to mutate. The, the issue is in most cases, those mutations are non-consequential. They don't really have any effect. The concern with the UK variant in particular is that UK has noticed that the mutations that they, have, they see in the genetics of that virus uh, could it correlates with what they're seeing epidemiologically where they're seeing uh, increase in the number of cases but then again it could just be people letting their guard down and they're seeing that that's becoming the predominant strain that they're diagnosing in new people and put those things together the concern is that this might be a strain that's a lot more transmissible which of course has public health implications um it doesn't tell you anything about the lethality, and from what we know currently, uh, there's there's not really a lot of concern that this is going to make the vaccines uh, less effective that are currently on the market. Of course, it's okay. going to require a bit more, you know, information, but that's not a concern at this point.
1: Yeah, because and that's and that's such an important point, doctor, because you know you hear about this new strain, the UK goes on hard lockdown, everybody tries to flee London. There's sort of that 24-hour moment of panic. Then we talked to virologists. They've come on and said, hey, we believe the vaccines as they exist now should work on these new strains. It sounds like you are also confident that is likely the case, doctor.
9: Yeah, and the reason why is you know some of my colleagues have used this metaphor that you know what this vaccine kind of does is it sends an email with a photo of the virus, telling your immune system to remember the culprit, right? And now if you change small one or two details about the photo, it won't make a difference in your body's ability to recognize the virus. It's really over time the culmination of multiple mutations uh, that could lead to that. But but again, most of the vaccine manufacturers as well as the, the NIH are looking uh, to make sure that that indeed is true. But the point that you raised, though, Brian, about the the facilities and the capacity to do these kind of in-depth genetic analysis, what we call phylogenetic analysis, is really important because, you know, the vaccines right now are a drop in the bucket. Eventually, they're going to help us control that transmission. But one way we can drive the number of cases down is all those blunt instruments we talk about, the the masking, the distancing, because it doesn't matter what Mm -hmm. the strain is. Those actions help us keep the cases down. But the genetic analysis... Over time, will give us the ability to detect mutations that could affect your ability to pick up the, t- the the virus on on tests, because all of our you know diagnostic many of our diagnostic tests are based on the viral genetics. It'll help us figure out the efficacy of the virus, um, of the efficacy of the vaccine, as well as medications against the virus
1: well there is one tiny sliver of upside something that i posted last night and i asked a genuine question about the flu season because we don't have one there is i don't want to say there's zero flu season in the united states but doctors you know it's not far off of zero obviously we don't want to go around in masks for the rest of our lives but we are learning i think valuable basic mitigation techniques because let's not forget the flu can kill 40 to eighty thousand americans every single year. What are we learning in this process we don't like, but it could be valuable for just the common cold in years to come?
9: Yeah, Brian, this is such an interesting point, because it's not just the flu, even things like the common cold or, you know, viral, other coronavirus, seasonal coronaviruses, they don't kill, but, you know, the economic productivity goes down. People get sick, they have to stay home, right? Some of the, the basic lessons are, First and foremost, I hope we never go back to, you know, the past where we went home, went to work while sick, because we've learned the lesson of, you know, how easy it is to transmit those respiratory viruses. The other is, you know, using those masks, particularly if you're sick. Um, And then last is the importance of ventilation. You know, some of the investments that you see both private businesses make, but also what you've seen from the CDC in terms of guidance with ventilation. I hope that that's going to keep us safe from all the seasonal threats, as well as any new emerging threats that might come from new respiratory viruses
1: yeah i guess that there is one tiny sliver It's that that flu season simply does not exist at least not yet let's hope it doesn't we don't need any more bad news in 2020 dr naheed Bedeli, it's great to have you on with some good news there about the vaccines and those new strains doctor best to you and yours happy new year thank you very much you too brad all right thank you all right coming up tis the season for predictions i'm getting back in the game this year why not but first Good news on cord cutting and car racing. For all you Formula One fans out there, VFT reporting that Formula One is in talks with Amazon to stream its Grand Prix races next year. So instead of having to have ESPN here in the United States, you can watch Amazon to watch Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton pretty much dominate every single week. Stay tuned. You're watching Worldwide Exchange. Dow futures up 80. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. Well, nobody out there asked for them, but we're doing it anyway. The annual predictions are back. My five big forecast one, two, five big forecasts for the coming year. And this year, it's a little different because, well, 2020 has been a lot different. I lay out some post-COVID thoughts on the economy and sectors that may do well based on current trends, prior pandemics, history, etc. Hint, get ready. For the roaring 20s, really 2022s, you can check out the predictions. They're up on CNBC.com. We'll put it out on Twitter, LinkedIn. And by the way, rolled out a new Facebook page as well. Facebook.com slash Brian Sullivan CNBC. Now, I won't give all five away. I want you to read the doggone story I worked on. But one of them, of course, has to do with oil. And I think that oil prices are going to go up next year, in part because everybody's going to be driving themselves around instead of taking subways and mass transit And OPEC doing a good job of keeping supply under control. Am I wrong? Read the predictions. Let us know what you think. Hey, let's all, one thing we can predict is be glad that 2020 is coming to a close. And by the way, today is my final day on Worldwide Exchange for the year. I'll see you on Closing Bell tomorrow and some other shows next week. They're letting me sleep in. All right, I am not alone in looking ahead to 2021. Investors are also making predictions. And Investopedia's Caleb Silver has been polling them all, and he joins us now. Caleb, it's good to have you on again. All right, you know the deep, dark secrets of the web. You know what people are looking for. What kinds of stocks and search terms are under the cover of darkness, people searching on Investopedia? Investopedia.
10: Ryan, it's been a crazy year, a a tale of two cities, a tale of two markets, a tale of two economies, any way you want to look at it. But when you look at the top search terms on Investopedia throughout the year and when they were spiking, it's really the story of what happened this year. The top spiking term, stimulus check. It's probably the top spiking term today, too. It's been in the news basically since the middle of the summer. And it's been the most uh, popular term in terms of search on our site, the most activity of people looking for it. They're also been looking for stock split. That was Tesla and Apple with those big stock splits back at the end of the summer. That drove that term crazy. People were searching all over for that one. Marxism, always a fan favorite on Investopedia. People love looking for Marxism and its cousin socialism. And of course, that was huge around the elections. But there's about we have a list of our top 10 spiking terms that's on the site, and I'd love to go through them with you.
1: Yeah, let's do it. By the way, margin calls. I love that spike during the March, you know, March market crash. It kind of shows you that people are obviously leveraged out there. They're on Robin Hood or whatever. Maybe they borrowed money and there's all of a sudden. They, what's a margin call? By the way, margin call. Probably the best movie about the financial crisis. Got no love, Caleb. But I think it was the totally best underrated. movie out
10: there. All right. What totally underrated?
1: You, you agree, right? You've a fantastic movie, by the way. What else
10: are people looking for? Well, margin call, you mentioned black swan. We had a black swan event. Some may say it wasn't a black swan. We may know it was coming that black swan event. The, the coronavirus, obviously. spec. I thought that was going to be the number one term just as, because it's been so popular. The last six months, it was one in the top 10. Not the most popular, but I have a feeling, given your predictions for next year, SPAC will be back in the top 10 next year as well. Forbearance, unfortunately, severance pay, the things that people were looking for as their personal finances were coming apart. Either they got laid off, they were laying people off, or they got furloughed. So that was a popular term as well. And of course, uh, The VIX, the CBOE volatility index, always a popular one. But if you remember back in March and April, it was screaming like a two year old in a toy store when it's time to go home. So those were the top 10. Very interesting list. And when they spiked was just important. If you look around the election period, Marxism, socialism, those are the top spiking terms around then. And even after the election, people were looking up those terms.
1: I, I love that a tier in a toy store said so when you can go back in toy stores in the New York area, Caleb. Uh, very quickly, any idea of what stocks people still
10: love? What are they looking for? Our readers are, love that home cooking, especially the U.S. readers. So they're predicting big gains for tech. They're predicting big gains for health care. No surprise there. But they like the home cooking. They like the stocks that brought them here. So their top 10 list looks a lot like the top 10 list of the QQQ, look, looks a lot like the top 10 list of some of the index funds. It's Amazon. It's Apple. It's Tesla now Now that Tesla's in the S&P 500. They liked it before. They like it going forward. And they like some cannabis stocks, too. But to your energy point earlier, a lot of them like the energy stocks and like the dividend play. So 2021 is going to be an interesting year, and I can't wait for it to start.
1: I can't wait for I can't just wait for 2020 to be over. But Caleb Silver enjoyed having you on with Investopedia. A lot of really cool bringing the heat literally and figuratively behind you. Caleb Silver. Happy New Year, buddy. We'll see you in 2021. Best to you and yours. Take care. Same to you. All right. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Speaking of hot on deck, the top five hottest housing markets in America revealed. Did your city make the list? We'll count them down for you next. Alright, welcome back. I want to bring you a good news update on a story that we first brought to you about the folks who work hard to actually get the vaccine to doctors and hospitals and people across the country. People like Ray, who we showed you, Morrison Dixon, in Freeport, Louisiana, because we followed him down to Lake Charles, the back of his fan filled with coolers, filled with the actual vaccine. Well our CNBC colleagues with Invest in You, Ready Set Grow have published a special story, not just about Ray, but all of his colleagues there at Morrison Dixon that were so generous with their time, allowing us in their warehouse to show us how they were getting the vaccines out. It's all part of a holiday homegrown heroes campaign. And you can find that by going to cnbc.com slash invest in you. We got a picture of everybody there at Morrison Dixon, all the names to all of them who are working all weekend long and getting ready to get the vaccines out as fast as possible. Hometown heroes. Thank you very much for all of that. What well, is time now for your morning RBI? And today, let's talk housing and answer the question that we asked you earlier. What metro areas have the highest percentage jump in home prices year over year? The top five hottest housing markets. Well, we know that pretty much the entire country has been hot. October had the biggest average monthly home price increase in history. But as always, some areas are hotter than the rest. So let's get random but interesting and get you the data. Here we go. Your top five home price increases from last year, counting down five to one. Five, Colorado Springs on average up 11.3% from last year. Wichita, Kansas, you go center of the country, 11.8%. The Phoenix Mesa Chandler Metro area, as it is known in Arizona, up 12%. Tacoma, Lakewood, Washington, up 12.5% year over year. But the single, by far, biggest jump year over year for any city is Boise City, Idaho. A 16% jump from last year, trouncing the rest of the country. A lot of people fleeing California for Idaho for obviously a variety of reasons. But look at the trends there. The hottest housing markets in America, they are all out west, or at least in the Midwest. Austin, Texas, by the way, was sixth. Let's see if that data changes when we get that FHFA data out at 10 a.m. today. But as of right now, on your RBI, Jim Morrison was right when he's saying, the West is the best. Get here and we'll do the rest. Random but interesting and red hot. All right, now back to the markets and your money. Joining us is Stephen Whiting, Global Chief Investment Strategist at City Private Bank, putting out their 2021 preview last night. And I got it in my inbox at about 7 p.m. I thought, oh, great, I'm going to open this up. It was 137 pages long, I think was the actual number, Stephen. I didn't read the whole thing. I read it backwards to
4: front like a law case. What are some of the highlights there? Give us your top five or something. Well, look, the big picture is 2020 and 2021 are distorted years for the world economy. That COVID changed every asset price in the world. And COVID's departure will also change every asset price in the world. I think the current market context we have to think about, uh, as we have expected, and we have seen really fantastic news on vaccines since the early part of November, is that about one third of the dispersion that's been driven by COVID, knocking down half of uh, our equity markets, boosting the other half with the policy response, that about one third of that dispersion is already closed. It means it's not over yet. It means that we will still be in a period of financial repression, low interest rates deep into the coming expansion. History has showed that it can last for a very long Mm -hmm. time. And that we will uh, see, again, a bounce back uh, in some industries that are not long-term growth industries, uh, but they can drive some of the best returns. So, for example, we have been uh, overweight for some time now, U.S. small cap stocks. And that's the way that we've expressed our overweight in the United States, specifically because they are early cycle recovery plays. They lag deeply behind. Okay, Stephen, let's stay right there.
1: Hold on. You look like, by the way, you look like a genius. It's been a great call, by the way, and I'm going to give credit where credit is due. But the Russell 2000 is up 106% since the March 18th low. My math tells me that's a double. Do you think small caps still have room to go higher?
4: I think they still have room to go higher. And I think we have to remember then if you're down 50%, you need 100% rebound to get back to the same place. That what we've had, in large cap tech, for example, and I'm not going to be too hard on it because I don't think we're going into a tech downturn, uh, but it is expanded way beyond the initial level that it achieved when COVID began. It was the solution to COVID. So I think you have further to go in catching up in small cap uh, equities around the world, but it is the rest of the world, right, which has lacked the tech component that has more to gain from a rebound uh, from the world adjusting and getting past COVID. Once we get through this though, we have to be clear about this. This is a one-off mean reversion. Um, I think we're going to want to go back to quality income generating assets. We're going to find them in equities, not in the bond market. Uh, we're going to find this in companies that were also left behind, uh, and those are dividend payers. Uh, and we're going to find it in places of the world uh, that's very surprisingly, uh, again, lagged behind the leaders. China had very large double-digit returns this year, Uh, It is what it did through social restrictions, but its trade gains are powering powering rebounds and trade activity throughout emerging Asia. And emerging Asia is down double digits this year, right, unlike uh, the 30 percent gain that we've seen in China. So there are lots of parts of the world that are still depressed and still part of this early part of the economic recovery.
1: Yeah. Well, it all comes down to equities globally, small caps here, emerging Asia around the world, areas to look at. Stephen Whiting, great call on small caps for the last number of months. We appreciate you and your team, Steve. I will see you in 2021. Great stuff, as always. Take care, buddy. See you soon. And folks, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. I will see you on this program in 2021. They're giving me some time to sleep in. Check out our podcast as well. Everybody have a great day out there. Squawkbox Box, the gang, picking up the coverage next. Take care.